Well, good morning. Hey, uh, glad you're here. If you're joining us online, we're glad you're here. Um, we've been going through a series. We've been talking about the letters uh, or epistles. That's what some scholars call them, the epistles. So uh, our assumption is that some of you know the Bible really well. And that others of you don't know the Bible at all. And the rest of us are in between, right? And so we're just going to assume that you walked in or you're watching right now and you don't know anything about the book of Colossians. And so the goal is that you will walk away with a better understanding of the book of Colossians and specifically a passage that we're going to look at that has something to say about or to your life. Now, just quick review, the, the Bible is written as really 66 books. There's the Old Testament and there's the New Testament. The Old Testament is about two-thirds of the, the breadth of the Bible, and then uh, one-third is the New Testament. Obviously, the Old Testament comes first, the New Testament comes second, and you have, at the beginning of the New Testament, you have the four Gospels. Um, you have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John hold the horse while I get on. That's how you remember, you know, if you don't know how to remember it, that's how you remember it. That's the order. Then you have the book of Acts. So you have the gospel literature, then you have the book of Acts. Those are kind of a historical narrative, different in how we do history. They're very theological history. It's really theological history. Uh, the book of Acts has a tie to a number of the letters that we're going to be looking at, that we have looked at. And um, so the letters begin with the book of Romans, and we talked about that a few weeks ago. Today, we're going to look at the letter or the epistle of Colossians, okay? Most of these letters were written to churches, house churches in regions. So the church today that we're looking at in Colossae, uh, the city was the region of Colossae. Uh, and so we call it the book of Colossians. It's to the Colossians, you know, we're Dubuquers and they're Colossians. Um, and that's kind of how that works out. So we're going to jump into that book. Um, as we do, I want, I want to kind of, we're going to zero in on one kind of message that Paul talks about in the book of Colossians. And that is this area that, you know, I think most of us are looking for some sort of order in, in, our, in our own personal lives, but also in the universe. We want to believe that there's an order, there's, that it's, we're just not living in a random universe, that there's purpose, there's meaning, and uh, I think we want that for our own lives. The passage of Scripture we're going to look at today, Paul is essentially going to say, so I'm going to tell you what I'm going to say, and then I'm going to say it. Basically, Paul's going to say in the passage we're going to look at in Colossians 1, he's going to say the, the universe, the cosmos as we know it, has order. And it is held by someone in their hands. And it's not random. It has a purpose. And so does your life. And so does your life. And so that's kind of where we're going to go today, because what Paul's going to show us, he's going to show us that not only does the universe have a purpose, and does it, not only does the universe have order, but we can find order and purpose and meaning in our lives. So that's where we're going to go. We're going to be in Colossians chapter 1, so if you'd like to turn there, um, you can follow along with me. A couple thoughts that I want you to know about the book of Colossians. It was written by the Apostle Paul. Um, he was probably in a Roman prison cell. You say, well, how do you know that? 
uh, because we, we, we went a couple weeks ago where we talked about uh, Ephesians, and then we, went, we talked about Philippians and Colossians, and, and uh, Marty talked last week, and we said there were a number of, of there were four letters that, uh, that Paul wrote uh, from a prison. We call those prison epistles. Obviously, it's because he was in prison when he wrote them. And in Colossians 4.18, it says, I, Paul, write this greeting in my own hand. And he says, remember my chains. Remember my chains. So Paul's basically essentially saying, I'm a prisoner. <laughs> and I don't really get, you know, I my, my agenda for the day is kind of like sit here. And so he wrote uh, this book of Colossians to the churches in Colossae um, uh, while he was in prison. He probably wasn't the one who founded the church. Now in Ephesus, he probably founded that church, uh, but not the church in Colossae, okay? Probably Epaphras was the founding uh, pastor, if you want to call it that, evangelist, missionary in the church. And he had a special relationship with his church. Uh, in chapter 4, verse 12, uh, this is what Paul writes about Epaphras. He says, Epaphras is always striving on behalf of you in prayers that you may stand mature and full, be fully assured of at, in all uh, the will of God. Uh, so he probably was a, a, a really major influencer in the church of Colossae. Um, now, in this letter, Paul writes... Kind of, we don't know. In the book of Galatians, we talked about that a few weeks ago, Paul was very clearly writing against kind of a Jewish uh, Judaizers and uh, adding the law to the gospel. So it was really clear what he was writing against. Most scholars don't know specifically Paul is writing to encourage the church, but he's also writing because it seems as though there's a kind of an error going on within the church. There's false teachers and there's false teaching. And Paul wants to address that. So he speaks a lot about the supremacy of Christ. And in chapter 3, verse 11, he says, Christ is all in all. Christ is supreme over all. And that's kind of a hint of the passage we're going to look at right now. So jump over to chapter 1 and verse 9, and I'll start reading. And we'll, we'll talk about this passage. This is going to be our passage. We're going to spend a little time here. For this reason, and the question is, well, what is Paul talking about? For what reason? Well, if you go to verse 8, it says that Paul is thankful for their love, their love for one another, their love for God. And he says, for this reason, for because of your love, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through the all wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives, so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience and giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. That's a long sentence, isn't it? <laughs> I mean, you, you, you couldn't say that in one breath. And there's a lot of going on there, right? But he goes on. For he, Jesus, has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom 
of the Son He loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And notice what He says in this next section. The Son, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of over all creation, for in Him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. So in this passage, I think Paul teaches us two really important lessons that we want to look at today. The number one, the number one lesson, the first lesson is, Jesus brings order to our universe. Now, the Bible teaches that we don't live in a world of chaos, but we live in an ordered cosmos, that this world has order, this world has physical laws. That's the basis of science as we know it, right? Science is built on measurable, orderly universe. For example, we have the law of gravity, we have the speed of sound, the speed of light, the orbit of the planets, all those things There are mathematical formulas. There are formulas in physics where they're the same. They don't change from day to day. They're not this today and that tomorrow. This is how, if we didn't have that, we would have no basis for science. You could have no scientific experience or experiments. You You could have none of that because science requires that there's certain standards that they can measure against. And so the law of gravity is one. Look, if the law of gravity changed and gravity was like, let's say, tomorrow, it's twice as much. Well, we wouldn't exist anymore because the the orbits would go, your body would, you know, be like messed up, probably you'd die. I mean, bad things would happen real quick if those laws changed. And Paul is saying that this isn't a, a... a world or a cosmos that's in chaos, it is ordered, it is laws, there are physical laws, and it's the basis of science. Now, uh, these laws do not only apply to the earth, but they apply to the universe as we know it. Um, They're the same laws. And Paul is saying more than that. He's saying, and this is where, this is very interesting, Paul says, not only are there physical laws, there are spiritual laws. And just as there are standard physical laws, measurable physical laws, there are measurable and standard spiritual laws. Now, some would say there is no supernatural. There's no eternity. There's no, um, there's only what is visible, what we can, uh, we study with our senses. There's only the body. There is no soul. Uh, We call this materialism. And materialism basically teaches that all there is is this physical world that we can touch, we can see, we can taste, we can measure, we can hear. Those are things that basically that's all there is. There's no supernatural, no eternity. Um, now, I don't think John Lennon was a materialist. In fact, I'm pretty sure he wasn't. But the first line, one of the lines of his song basically is kind of echoes this whole materialism mindset in this song that's beautiful song the words are kind of garbage but um he says this he says imagine there's no heaven it's easy if you try no hell below us 
above us only sky. And then he goes on and imagines other things, you know, um, which in all practicality, uh, if you know people, the world would never be a place of peace um, under that. You can read the rest of the lyrics there. Here's the problem, though, with materialism, and it's a glaring problem. The problem with materialism is that you really can't make a statement about love and hate. You can't really say, that's lovely, or that's awful, or that's evil, or that's good, or that's bad. You can't make a judgment like that. You really can't. Because in the end, love or hate, good or bad, good or evil, whatever you want to call it, is really just a chemical reaction in your brain. That's all it is. It's your judgment from your brain. It's a chemical reaction, and ultimately, uh, you don't, you know, it is, it is what it is, right? So any emotional connection you have with a parent or a child or a friend, uh, a spouse, it's a chemical reaction. There, there's nothing there. I mean, uh, picture this. Let's just say that, that I decide to take Carol out for our anniversary. Our anniversary's coming up this week. And yeah, right? Cool, right? <laughs> I think it's 40 years too. Like, ooh, boy, I better do something for that, right? Yeah. Now, by the way, I didn't intend to mention that, but let's just say that I go all out. We, we go to a nice restaurant. I get her flowers and everything. And Carol, at the, you know, the end of the meal, we've had this wonderful meal, with wonderful dessert, wonderful time. And now, yeah, you have to really, when you're thinking about me, and you could say, well, Carol could, you know, you understand that. But for me, you go, yeah, I, I don't, I keep, I'm having a hard time picturing you being that person, Matt. Okay, just, yeah, dream a little bit, okay? All right. So at the end of the night, I just knock it out of the park, and Carol looks across the table and says, this has been magical. This has been awesome. This has been one of the best nights ever. And I go, yeah, it's just kind of a chemical reaction I'm having in my brain right now. I really just, you know, yeah, it's just, just kind of, that would kind of kill the moment, wouldn't it? A little bit? Yeah, kind of kill the moment a little bit. Here's the point. We absolutely know that there is more than this physical world. We know it. We know that there's a thing called love. And it's not just a chemical reaction. It's more than that. We know that there's something that's called good and pure and right. And we also know there's something that's called evil and wicked. And if you read the newspapers, you see what's going on in Nobody reads newspapers anymore. You watch online, you see evil. That's not a chemical reaction. That's evil. And here's the point. Paul is clearly stating that just as there is a physical order, there is a spiritual order. Um, the opposite of spiritual of, of materialism is spiritualism. Now, spiritualism is kind of the opposite. So, materialism basically says all there is is matter. All there is is what I can see, and, you know, everything is just kind of a chemical reaction, and, and my brain, and when my brain is dead, so am I, and everything, and it, it ends there, right? Spiritualism a little different. Spiritualism kind of takes up that Greek idea that 
the body is a prison of the soul, of the spirit, or the spiritual. And when we die, the spirit, the godness within us goes into the godness or spiritualness of the universe. And a lot of the Eastern uh, world, Eastern part of the world, uh, holds to this view. They, pantheism and, and, and you know, um, a lot of these other, and so pantheism is the view that, that teaches that, that everything is God, that all things are God, that that wall is God, and that camera is God, and those Bibles are God, and this rug is God, and I'm God too. And that God is everything. God is part of and is everything. So when I die under this idea of spiritualism, I go into this energy of the universe, this pool of energy which we can call God, and I reincarnate or transmigrate or come back as some life form or a plant or a bug or another person or whatever it is. But here's the thing. When you die in materialism, that's it. You're done. All your memories, all your relationships die with you. And you know, some people say, well, we, we live forever. No, we don't live forever. If materialism, you don't live forever and your memory doesn't live forever because here's a test. This is a test. How long will you be remembered? Can you remember your great-grandparents' name? Some of you can. How about your great-great-grandparents? Well, you know, now you're out of luck probably, right? Yeah, I don't know how many years that is, but that's not very long. Spiritualism says the opposite. It, it basically says that your spirit is released into the universe and um, you go into this, this, this uh, pool of God and you re reincarnate, transmigrate, you go, you relive your life, but all your memories are gone too. You know, I often think it's interesting to me Sometimes I've talked to people and they say, well, I'm just, I just don't buy into Christianity. I just don't have enough faith to, to believe in Christianity. And I, I say, well, it's not about how much faith you have. It's where you place it, right? Because if I fall off a cliff, I'm going to grab for that next branch. And that only takes a, me reaching out and grabbing that branch. That's all the faith I need. Uh, it's where I'm placing it. Will that branch hold me, right? But often, you know, people say, oh, I just don't know. And I, it, it, they talk as though I have all these other options out there. There's only three options, folks. There's materialism, you live and you die and you're done. Or there's spiritualism, you live and you die and you recycle. Or there's Christianity. And that's what Paul's talking about. And he basically is saying you live and you die and you resurrect. And you get a new body. And you live forever. And you have all your memories. Um, Paul is saying, and it's really important for us to hear this, that God existed not, he isn't part of this world. Pantheism is literally pan, meaning all. Theism, meaning God. All is God, right? Paul is saying, no, God is separate from creation. He made everything. He made everything, and it was made by him, for him. And, and some of you think this is your world. It's not your world. It's his world. You are guests here. You're playing on his playground. This world belongs to him. We're merely stewards. We're merely caretakers of his world. 
Paul is saying that God existed before the world and he exists apart from the world and that he made the world with order and purpose. And he made the world with order and purpose with physical laws, but he also made the world with order and purpose with spiritual laws. Now let me just show you how the Bible makes that point. Genesis 1.1, you, you, most of you would know this verse. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And then we go to John chapter 1. In John chapter 1, what John does is he goes back, I think, to Genesis 1, and I think he says, he draws an application on Jesus, the second person of the Trinity. And he says this, in the beginning, the word, or Jesus, excuse me, in the beginning was the word, was Jesus, and Jesus was with God, and Jesus was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made, and without him, nothing was made that has been made. Have you been made? Yes, you have. You are a part of this creation. Now, notice what Paul says in Colossians. He's taking this Genesis theme together and he says in him in Christ all things were created things in heaven and on earth visible and invisible whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities all things have been created through him for him so the universe was made by the son of God for him the world is made for him and not for us and what Paul says is he says Another phrase right at the end, he says, and he holds all things together. The world's not falling apart. The cosmos is not falling apart. Here's the point, and this is the, the, uh, the point I want you to see in this first point. The Son of God, Paul's saying the Son of God is the cosmic king. He's over the physical, he's over the spiritual. He is the cosmic king of the universe. Here's the second point. Jesus brings order not only to the universe, but to our lives. Jesus brings order to our lives. When you lose your job, when you lose your health, when you lose a relationship, what happens to your life? Will you fall apart or will you make it? Here's the point. When you find your hope in the one who holds all things together, you will not fall apart, even if your life does. Why is that? You all have seen people who are in a bad state. They're struggling. They're struggling physically. They're struggling, you know, just... They, they just are really, really struggling. But when you talk to them, they're not falling apart in the midst of all of that. And you're sitting there going, if that was me, you're thinking, if that was, you may say it out loud, if that was me, I'd be falling apart right now. But they're not. Why? And then you've met other people who their life's a mess. It's their, their life is falling apart, and so are they. What makes the difference? See, it's not what happens to you that causes your life to fall apart. It's how you respond to it. It's the perspective that you bring. 
And that's what I want to look at. Because if you look at Paul's prayer, look at what he prays. He prays that you, we would be filled with the knowledge of God's will through the power of the presence of the Holy Spirit so that you can live a life pleasing to Him. Let me ask you a question. Is the King of the universe the King of your life? Most of you would say, you know, some of you may be here and you're just, hey, listen, I'm just, I'm just here with a friend. I'm just checking in. I'm, I don't know where I'm at with all this. But some of you would say very quickly, say, yeah, absolutely. But here's the point. To the degree that you have your life under the kingship of Christ, to that degree you will hold together. Your life will hold together. And the opposite is true. To the degree that you are not under his lordship, to that degree, you will find your life falling apart. Just as Jesus holds the whole world together, he can hold your life together, no matter what your circumstances might be. And I don't know what's going on in your life right now, and I don't know what your struggles are, but I do know this, that if you feel like your life is coming apart, it's probably because you've, you've looked away from the God, the king of the universe. The one who made you in his image, the one who made you in the first place, the one who has a perfect plan and purpose for your life. And you know what? Here's the thing. You can't have two kings. You have to decide who's going to be the king. When you get away from his kingship, your life will fall apart. When you come under his kingship, your life will come together. Now, what we've been saying up to this point is he's the cosmic king. He's over the universe. He's over the earth and, and the planets and the stars and the sun and the moon and, and all of those. those. Those planets all obey the laws, the physical laws that he has. But he's also over the earth. All the animals. The Bible says the trees clap their hands in worship to God. You, you go around and you see a sunset, you see a sunrise, you see the beauty of the earth, and they're screaming to the glory of the cosmic king. You know what's sad? It's sad that we who are created in his image, the one that he sent the rescue party of one, Jesus Christ, to, we won't give him the time of day. We think we're the king. We think we're in control. But if he is the cosmic king of the universe... Is he the cosmic, is he the personal king in your life? There was a debate that went around a number of years ago within Christianity, and the question was this. Can Jesus be a person's savior but not their Lord? Can he be a savior but not their Lord? And so there was books written and debates going, and you know, there was sides drawn, and the question was, can you just say, is Jesus truly a Savior if he's not the Lord of your life? Some of you are very quick and you go, there's no way. You're black and white. There's no way. Jesus can't be a Savior if he's not your Lord. And then others of you go, well, you know, I think that Lordship thing is kind of something that you kind of got of you got to, it's a day by day, you got to learn to, you know, sometimes you take back and give back, it's a give and take type thing. But here's the thing, I want to ask you a couple of questions. 
to see how you're doing in this area. Because it's one thing to say, I have an opinion. I believe Jesus is not just Savior, but Lord. And if he's not Lord of all, he's not Lord at all. Right? Some of you are that school. Good for you. Now, let's get to specifics. Is he Lord of your finances? Hey, we'll say, if he's not Lord of all, he's not Lord at all. Is he Lord of your finances? Who, 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 who? Who owns your bank account? Is it your money or his? If we were to go back in the last two years and look at your bank account and see where you spent your money, uh, would you say that you have been a good steward of what God has given you? I'm just, listen, I'm not asking, if you're here or you're watching and you go, I don't know what I think about Jesus, I'm not talking to you. I'm talking about to the rest of the folks that are saying, he's my Savior and he's my Lord. I'm saying, okay, how much so? How much so? Is he Lord of your wallet? Is he Lord of your purse? Is he Lord of your bank account? Is he Lord of your finances? Are you a good steward of what he's given to you? Is he Lord of your relationships? I've had people over the years who come to me and they're single and they want to get married and they're dating somebody and the person that they're dating isn't a Christian and I might, you know, just in conversation along the way, I will generally say, um, by the way, you are a follower of Jesus, yeah? Uh, where are they at? Well, they're not, they, they don't believe in God. Okay. Well, the Bible kind of says not to be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. I don't know how you can find more of a yoked together way than marriage. But they make me happy. But God brought them into my life. Okay. I hear you. Are, is he Lord of your relationships? Are you willing to say, this is not the right person right now because they don't love Jesus like I love Jesus? You say, I believe that Jesus is the cosmic king. I believe that if he's not Lord of all, he's not Lord at all. But in this area of relationships, eh, pass. Is he Lord of your possessions? Did you drive in your car today or was it his? Do you live in your house or is it his? <laughs> Are they your kids or his? Grandkids, are they your, your grand? You get, you get the point, right? Again, who owns everything? Is he the Lord of your time? Is he the Lord of your passions? There's a lot of things we can get involved in, right? passionate about this or you know we can talk about sexual passions all those different things I'm just asking the question I'm just I'm just breaking it down I'm just asking we say that he's Lord and I'm just saying okay if we can agree that he's the cosmic king that he has laws and rules 
over the universe, the physical universe, and the same is true for the spiritual. Um, and we want to call him our Savior. We want to call him our Lord, our personal Lord and Savior. If we want to do that, this is where the rubber meets the road. Paul's essentially saying, don't say that he's Lord over the universe and then take a pass on your own personal life. You can't compartmentalize God like that. Jesus said, these are some stark words from Jesus. He says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and you do not do what I say? That's a great question. Isn't that a great question? Now, in the context, he goes on to tell the parable of the builders, and they're building two different kinds of buildings with two different foundations. One is built on the words of God, the words of Jesus, and one is built on the sand. And basically, the storms come, because that's what happens in life. God doesn't spare anyone, even his kids, from storms. We all go through the storms. And like I said before, it's not the storm that will destroy you. It is the foundation that you have built your life on. And if your life is falling apart because of the current storm, it's not because of the storm. It's because of a weak foundation. It's because you have not allowed the cosmic king to be your personal king. You've not allowed the one who made all things and hold all things together to hold your life together. And when you decide to hold your own life together and a storm hits you, you will fall apart. That's what Paul's saying. One day, everybody's foundation will be shown for what it is. So who is the king of the cosmos today? Paul says, Jesus. He's Lord of all, Lord of the world. And then the question for us today, and the next step that you have to ask yourself is, who is the Lord of your life today? Who's calling the shots? Hey, Jesus will, will let you take the wheel of the car and drive, but here's what you're going to find. The day that you let go of the wheel and the day that you allow Jesus, the cosmos, the king of the cosmos, to run your life, to be the Lord of your life, will be the day that you'll find your life held together. The day, and this is what I found in my own personal life, the days that I take the wheel is when my life begins to fall apart. I don't know where you're at today, but I can tell you this, if your life is falling apart, turn to the one, the only one, who can pull it back together and hold it together. He's there, he's ready. It's up to you to take that first step. What is that step you need to take today? Stand with me, let's pray together. Help us, Father, because we, without your help, we can't do this. But we thank you, Father, for the cosmic king who's made everything with order, with laws, with measurable uh, demonstrative uh, processes. He's created a spiritual uh, laws and also, Father, uh, thank you that Jesus is the one who can hold our life together. He's the only one that can hold our life together. So, Father, there's only room on the throne for one. And it may be that some of us have been sitting on the throne that doesn't belong to us. It's your throne. 
may we get, get off the throne and put you there. And that means, Father, probably that there's a decision, a step that we have to take for that to happen. Maybe it's something to do with our finances, something to do with relationships, something to do with a passion, something to do with a possession. But there's something we have to do that we have, we have decided that we have to have that more than you. Father, may our lives reflect that not only are you king of the universe, king of the cosmos, but you're king of our lives. Help us, Father, to move in that direction, to take that step today, this week. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.